Christians give more charity than any other group in the world. We will talk about a study that reveals the stunning statistics about how much Christians contribute in the way of generosity. Also, we will look at a few polls that show what Christians think, especially the younger generations of Christians about climate change, about same-sex marriage, and what this all means. We will also uh, be talking to the head of a sponsor of this show, Crowd Health, about what his company is doing and how they're helping Christians who have healthcare costs, how we can come together to help each other uh, navigate this medical world and uh, help each other when we are going through medical crises and meeting our medical needs. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com, promo code Allie. Okay, I wanted to talk about a few interesting studies that I've seen about Christians, what Christians do, and what Christians think. The first study that I wanted to look at was a study about climate change. I get emails from Pew Research that I signed up for, and sometimes they have a study that really interests me. The title of this study, or the headline advertising this study, is Younger Evangelicals in the U.S. are more concerned than their elders about climate change. And this doesn't really surprise me, necessarily, if you look at the If you look at the views of each generation, you will see whether they're Christian or not, each generation gets more progressive, more liberal than the last. That is a result of education in this country and the ideology that characterizes most public education, even some private education. That is also the result of what people see on social media, what they are fed via Snapchat, via Instagram, via TikTok. That's the ideology that's pervasive in Hollywood. And so all of the forces, all of the secular forces lean to the left. And that has infected, unfortunately, many pulpits. Many pulpits who think that they can outlove God by disagreeing with God and what he says about marriage and what he says about sexuality and what he says about righteousness and sin. And so they are essentially preaching a false gospel that sounds more worldly than it does biblical. And thus, you have a lot of young people who are confused. Now, I'll talk about why I think that is the case when it comes to the climate. That's not because I think that it's wrong to care about the environment, or we shouldn't care about the earth, or that we shouldn't recycle, or that we should just, you know, throw trash around and things like that. That's not what I'm saying. Of course, I think that we should care about the earth because we read in Genesis that we are given dominion over the earth. We should steward it. We should work the ground. We should produce good things out of it. We should take care of animals. We can have compassion for all of those things while still realizing that there are some very serious, very fundamental questions about climate change ideology because that is what it has become. It is climate change ideology. It has become a religion, no matter how many times they've been disproven, no matter how many Al Gore predictions have been wrong, they continue to double down. And they use the existential the existential threat of climate change, or so they say is an existential threat, to scare you into doing what they want you to do 
uh, for their own political ends. And when I say they, I'm talking about those at the World Economic Forum. I'm talking about Democrat politicians. I'm talking about the global politicians that are, for example, shutting down farms in the Netherlands that are forcing people to drive electric cars, trying to get rid of um, gas cars, shutting down uh, oil production sites in the United States only to rely on other terrible countries committing all kinds of human rights atrocities for our oil, all in the name of helping the environment, trying to stop the production of meat, getting people to eat bugs, all because they say that this is going to help the globe. This is going to help us save the world from the deleterious effects of climate change. Of course, they don't talk about how healthy the barrier reef is doing. They don't talk about all of the cycles of climate change that the universe has gone through and that we are still here. Um, this is really just a premise for them to transform society, for them to take more control, and for them to push policies that give them more power and money. There's a lot of money, as we have talked about several times, in green energy. There's a lot of money in making these windmills and making these solar panels that are also, by the way, really bad for the environment. There's a lot of power in a lot of governments and a lot of NGOs when it comes to climate change activism and ideology. We'll link a couple past episodes, one that I did with uh, Jackie Daly and then another one that I did uh, recently with an author who talks a lot about the Great Reset and um, and climate change. And you can learn a little bit more just about how false a lot of the assertions are when it comes to climate change activism. So it doesn't really surprise me that a lot of young people, even young Christians um, in the country, say that they believe it. So this is the Pew Research poll. In the U.S., young adults are more concerned than their elders, both in the overall population and within religious groups, about climate change. So all U.S. adults, apparently 57 percent 57% say that global climate change is an extremely slash very serious problem. That actually surprises me. Um, also, 53% of all U.S. adults say that the Earth is getting warmer mostly because of human activity. I would say that the evidence for that is shaky at best. And then they break this down by different belief systems and then also by age. And so Republicans are uh, much less likely than Democrats to believe this. Only 25% of Republicans say that global climate change is an extremely serious problem versus 83% um, of Democrats. I mean, that's just a clash of worldviews, a clash of uh, a clash of facts right there. Evangelical Protestants always holding down the fort in the base department. Evangelical pro Protestants always on every on every single subject. We are the most conservative across the board. That's why we are demonized so much. It's white evangelical Protestants, more than Catholics, more than mainline Protestants, more than any other group. Evangelical Protestants are always holding down the fort on the most conservative things. Only 34%, actually, that's too high. 34% of evangelical Protestants say that global climate change is an extremely serious problem. 28% say it's somewhat a problem. And 38% say that um, it's not a serious problem at all. 
And then mainline Protestants, obviously more Catholics. What did I say? 57% of Catholics versus 34% of evangelical Protestants say that this is an extremely big deal. Religiously unaffiliated, 70%. Again, not surprising. Everyone is looking to worship something. Everyone is looking for an ideology. Everyone is looking to be attached to something, to have a cause. And so it doesn't surprise me that the religiously unaffiliated, who are almost always Democrats, are looking to this to kind of be their guide. Okay, let me tell y'all about good ranchers. So if you have, I don't know, a New Year's resolution to eat healthy in the year 2023, don't we all? You might as well start it off on the right foot by making sure that all of your meat is uh, ethically raised, is sustainably sourced, is high quality meat. They've got better than organic chicken. They've got craft beef, all different cuts of steak. They've got ground beef. That's probably the thing that we use the most because it's so versatile. They've also got seafood. They've got rockfish and salmon and scallops and uh, all that good stuff. We eat Good Ranchers almost every night. It really helps us at least eat the one meal that we are eating Good Ranchers, eat healthy and super high quality food. Plus, the people that own Good Ranchers, they're Christians. They love America. They're pro-life. So you can feel really good about supporting this company. Plus, for 2023, if you subscribe, get that box of meat to your front door every month. The price you pay right now is locked in. So your price is not going to go up for all of 2023. That's a big deal when we're looking at inflation. So go to goodranchers.com, use promo code Allie, you'll save $35 off of any box. Good Ranchers is American meat delivered. Goodranchers.com, use code Allie at checkout for $35 off any box. Goodranchers.com, code Allie. Let's look at the the headline breakdown here. So evangelical Protestants ages 40 plus, only 31% say that it's an extremely big problem. And then 18 to 39 year olds, that's my category, 41% say that it's an extremely big problem in the world. And 75% say that it's either somewhat or an extremely big uh, problem in the world. And so it's really the 40 plus evangelical Protestants. Let's see. Yeah, the 40 plus evangelical Protestants, the 40 plus Republicans that are the ones who are like putting their stake in the ground and say, no, this is not an extremely big problem. Maybe you could say it's a problem. Maybe you could say that there are better things that we can do. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Again, not saying we shouldn't care about the environment. But like if you are looking at a list of priorities, it doesn't even come close to the top of the list. That's what I think. Yes, I think also people say that this is a problem. Most people don't vote on it. Most people don't live their life this way, by the way. Some of the biggest advocates of climate change policy are the ones who are flying to the World Economic Forum on a private jet several times a year and eating Wagyu beef. So it's not And it's not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy, as the saying goes. They just believe that you shouldn't have access to these things, that you are populating too much, you're taking up too much space, you're eating too many hamburgers, you're 
driving your truck too much, but they can do all of these things because they matter. They're cleaner than you. They're more responsible than you. They're not part of the grade unwashed as you are. And so, of course, they have been very successful in pushing their propaganda because their power and their riches depend upon it. Um, And so unfortunately, young people, as young people often are, kind of taken by um, a lot of this rhetoric. But let me read you the Bible verse that I always read um, when it comes to uh, the subject of climate change. So here's what God promises. If you're a Christian, you believe the Bible is the word of God. It's inerrant. It's infallible. We believe that God is good. We believe that he created the heavens and the earth. He's He's in control over all of it. So this is what God says after the flood. He says, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I ever or neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That is Genesis 8, 21 through 22. Sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. It won't cease. There is actually nothing that we can do to uh, quicken the end of the world. Okay? Like, this is our father's world. And he's got it in his hands. That doesn't mean that we should be irresponsible or that we shouldn't care. But he is sovereign over all of that. He has promised that seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So let's do our best to take care of the things that we can. But I do not agree with most of climate change policy, which is actually more concerned with depopulation than it is actually helping the world. We've talked about this many times with Justin Haskins as well. And again, we'll link some of those past episodes. So young people, and I guess I include myself in that category because Pew said it's 18 through 39 year olds who believe in a lot of this nonsense. Remember the word of God, that God is totally in control and also understand much of climate change activism is a religion in itself, which stands opposed to Christianity. Evangelical Protestants keep holding down the fort when it comes to this kind of stuff. All right. Another study that I wanted to look at in line with that, two other studies, but I also thought that this was interesting and I meant to talk about it a while ago and just didn't get to it. When we've been talking about the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, that redefines something that the government doesn't have the power to redefine marriage because it's pre-America, pre-civilizational. The government did not create marriage. Marriage is based on on the biological complementarianism of one man and one woman that you do not find in any union of any other type of person. Um, And that's what marriage is. It is immutable. It is a part of nature and societies all over the world for all of time have recognized that special status of the only child producing and child protecting institution that exists that predates America and the government. So Congress can write all kinds of laws. They can write a law saying that a zebra is a dog. It doesn't make it so. They can write a law saying marriage is between like a tree and a bike. It doesn't make it so. It doesn't make it so. And so a lot of people, however, have gone along with Obergefell, which was decided by the Supreme Court in 2015, saying that this is a legal right of any two adults uh, to get married, um, which, of course, has led to uh, a lot of infringement upon religious liberty and this Respect for Marriage Act, so-called, will only ensure that further. 
However, most Americans believe that um, gay marriage, same-sex marriage, as it is called, is good for society or the legalization of it is good for society. That's just where most Americans are. Actually, it was only seven years ago when a Burgerfell was decided. And before a Burgerfell was decided in 2015, still a majority, a slight majority, but the majority of Americans did not believe that homosexuality was good for society. That shows how fast minds change about things, especially when it's shown to you in the media and when it becomes popular and when it becomes comfortable. Of course, I mean, minds are going to change. They've been extremely effective in that. So most Americans, uh, about 60% of Americans say that same-sex marriage is good for society and only 19% say it's very bad. 18% say it's somewhat bad. Uh, 25% say it's somewhat good, and then 36% say it's very good. So you've got about 61% that say that it's good for society. I always think it's interesting how this breaks down when it comes to like male, female, and things like that. And so for men, there are 40% of men in the United States think that same-sex marriage is bad for society. Only 33% of women believe that, 63% believe that it is great for society. Um, let's see, a like Asian people are actually the most likely, that surprises me, the most likely to say that homosexual marriage is good for, um, or unions are good for society. And let's see, the least likely to say it, uh-oh, this is going to make the intersectionalist just so distraught. Black Americans, least likely to say that same-sex unions are good for society. 57% versus 61% of whites, 60% of Hispanics, 70% of Asians, 39% of Black Americans say that it's bad for society, most likely to say that it's bad for society, which is fascinating because about 90% of Black Americans or more uh, vote Democrat, and this is a key part of Democrats' platform. Ages 18 to 19, or ages uh, 18 to 29, most likely to be for it, 75% say that it's good for society. And that goes down by age group, 65 plus, 50% say that it's good for society. So this really is just an issue that most Americans don't really care about. They're not really thinking about the morality of it. Now, if you break it down, though, by Republican and Democrat, uh, 66% of conservative Republicans say that homosexual marriage is bad for society. Only 32% say that it's good. Democrats, um, 80% say that it is good for society. So just like on all things, really on all issues, Republicans are much more divided and much more heterodox across the board than Democrats are. Democrats are much more likely to just be a part of groupthink, really, than Republicans are. I know they want to think that it's the opposite, but it's not. If you look at really how Democrats and Republicans think on every issue, there's a lot more disagreement within the Republican Party on these issues than there is in the Democrat Party. Now, who we got? Okay, so we've got uh, white evangelical Protestants taking the lead. Is anyone surprised in saying that gay unions are not good for society? 71% of white evangelical Protestants say that versus only 32% of Catholics. Now, to my lovely Catholic friends whom I link arms with when it comes to abortion and when it comes to a lot of these issues who I am very thankful for, one thing that my Catholic friends say 
whenever I talk about the Reformation or whether I talk about the um, uh, why I believe in by grace through faith alone, why I'm a Protestant, they will say that, oh, we are mourning all of these denominations. And the reason why Protestants are so theologically incorrect and they get, you know, things wrong on a lot of these issues. Like I've even seen some Catholics say that like Protestant theology is to blame for like transgenderism and a lot of these liberal issues is because we believe in reading the Bible ourselves and because we don't look to the church um, or the Catholic church or a Pope or one particular teacher to tell us what the Bible says and to tell us what the Bible uh, means. Yes, we believe in teachers. We believe in wisdom. We believe in sound interpretation. We believe in wisdom from the Holy Spirit, but we do believe that the individual can have those things. Um, Traditions, church is important and all of that, but the word of God is supreme. And I hear that believing that is what leads to moral relativism, what leads to the acceptance of like cultural things. But my friends, if you look at white evangelical Protestants versus Catholics, line us up on any issue, whether it's marriage, gender, sexuality, abortion, Republican versus Democrat, any of it. And we are, in general, we are more conservative, far more conservative in what I would call far more in line with scripture when it comes to marriage and gender than statistically in general, Catholics are. Catholics are far more liberal, far more cultural. I'm not talking about those of you who are listening to this podcast and agree with me. I'm talking about statistically than Protestants are. So I always find that interesting. I always find that argument interesting um, that Protestants have like led to liberalism when in general, Protestants are actually far more conservative on these issues than in general Um Catholics are. I personally believe that that is actually the importance of knowing the word of God yourself and reading the word of God yourself. And I'm very thankful that Catholics, especially in recent years, there have been amazingly popular podcasts that are walking Catholics through the Bible. I want that. Like the rise of the Bible study and the personal study of scripture. I know that a lot of Catholics don't like the Protestant Reformation, don't like Martin Luther, but that is a product of the Reformation. And I'm glad um, that in recent years and recent decades, Catholics have come on board like with a lot of that. I want that. I want that. Um, I want everyone to be reading the Word of God. I think that reading the Word of God is what drives someone to be conservative. Um And so that's what I think the difference is. And I always just think that it's a little bit of a strange argument when my Catholic friends try to throw that in my face and say that Protestantism leads to liberalism that just doesn't seem to be statistically true. So I don't think it's a surprise then that a lot of Republicans obviously are on board with something like the Respect for Marriage Act. It is surprising, though, that they are willing to do so without any religious liberty protections whatsoever, which is what they have essentially done, especially um, in the Senate. And uh, they just seemingly don't care. They just don't care. They don't even care about trying to serve their constituents who simply say, hey, just respect my religious beliefs. Don't push this on me. Don't force me to say something I don't want to say or do something that I don't want to do. And some Republicans in the House and the Senate don't even care about that. It's not surprising to me that they have embraced this new redefinition of marriage. It is 
disappointing to me that they have decided that um, our religious liberty shouldn't even be protected and that sexual rights are more important than constitutional rights. Okay, if you are tired of your house smelling like a litter box or dirty diapers or musty or smelling any way that you don't like and you don't want to, you know, just burn candles constantly because that's not great for the air that you breathe, you need to try out the air purifier from Eden Pure. It's their thunderstorm air purifier. We have several in our house. I think they really work. I really like them because they don't take up any floor space. They don't make a whole lot of noise. You don't even really notice them. You just plug them into the wall. It runs in the background and you're good to go. It's killing viruses and bacteria, getting rid of uh, getting rid of those smells that you just don't want hanging around. These are really popular. Hundreds of thousands of these have been sold. They have a really good deal for related listeners. If you go to EdenPureDeals.com, you can use discount discount code Allie and you'll get three air purifiers for $200 off. So $200 off a three pack. This is whole home protection. And so you're going to want to take advantage of that deal. EdenPureDeals.com. Put in discount code Allie at checkout to save $200. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code Allie. Shipping is free. All right, last study that I wanted to talk about before we get into a short interview um, was a study about the importance of philanthropy and who is actually giving, who is giving in society today. I saw a tweet and it is um, it was by Scott Sauls and he tweeted this, uh, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022 at $300 billion total. Christians also outgave the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. Whatever folks might say or think, the church remains a seismic value add to the world. So this is actually from um, Philanthropy Roundtable. They're the source of this study, and they look at this stuff every year. And they look at who um, is giving the most worldwide. And Christians worldwide are fighting poverty more effectively than the U.S. government and are giving more money than even the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Christians are the ones who are carrying on their backs um the needs of the most vulnerable in society by giving not just their money. I mean, we're talking billions of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars of hard-earned money that Christians give every year to organizations that are fighting poverty, that are fighting sex trafficking, that are advocating for adoption, that are helping children, that are helping the poor around the world, the most vulnerable and marginalized people in the universe. Christians are helping, but also through their time and through their energy, service, hours are being given to these communities um, by Christians. Now, religious affiliation in the United States, as Philanthropy Roundtable notes, um, has gone down. In 1972, 95% of Americans identified as Christians. And then in 2016, that was 71%, according to Pew Research. And that's even lower than that. And yet, Pew uh, or Philanthropy Roundtable notes that the greatest indicator of whether or not someone is going to give to charities in any given year is still religious affiliation. Now, 
they asked those that they polled this question, churches, synagogues, and other houses of worship contribute blank to solving important social problems. In 2001, only 21% said nothing or not much. So 21% in 2001 said that uh, churches, synagogues, and other houses of worship contribute nothing to solving important social problems. But by 2016, that had changed to about 40%. So 40% and now even more are saying, well, the church really isn't that um, significant. And 51% are saying that religion is actually the problem in the society, uh, in our society, rather than the solution. 57% say that good works and charitable work, all the charitable work that we see, all the money that's given, would all still happen if there were no people of faith or religious organizations to do them. Oh my gosh, you have to be completely, completely detached from reality, know nothing about history whatsoever, know nothing about charity in the United States, know nothing about who built the hospitals, who built the adoption agencies, who built the orphanages, who built the universities. You have to literally know nothing about charitable giving at all to make a statement like that. It's really, really incredible. And yet when we look at the numbers, um, they asked who, uh, who did the volunteer work? Uh, who does the most volunteer work? They say that Pew Research Center investigators examined the behavior of a large sample of the public across a typical seven-day period. They found that among Americans who attend services weekly and pray daily, 45% had done volunteer work that week versus only 27% of um, uh, among the rest of the population. They also found that Americans who go to church weekly and pray daily are much more likely to gather with extended family, to have more of a community, to have more of um, uh, family connections in their lives. Also, I think this is all connected together, uh, gave to the poor in the past seven days. This was a question that was asked. 65% of Americans who attend church weekly and pray daily gave to the poor in the past seven days versus only 41% of other Americans. They also found that two-thirds of people who worship at least twice a month give to secular causes even, compared to less than half of non-attenders. And the average secular gift by a church attender is 20% bigger. And this was also documented by the New York Times a couple years ago, um, that Republican counties give far more on average in charity than blue counties do. And I think one of the reasons for that is because red counties are mostly Christian. And it's mostly Christian conservatives who are giving the money, who are donating to charity. Uh, Religious charity dominates U.S. philanthropy. America's tradition of voluntary charitable giving is one of the clearest markers of U.S. exceptionalism. As a fraction of our income, we donate over two and a half times as much as Britons do, more than eight times as much as Germans, and at 12 times the rate of the Japanese, American religiosity plays the central role in that distinctive pattern. That is what uh, de Tocqueville said hundreds of years ago about America, that the thing that distinguishes us from every other country is our Christianity. It is what makes us hard workers. It is what has driven the beliefs that we do about human beings and about human rights. It is what has righted our wrongs throughout history. It is what has always uh, helped us correct course 
to get closer to the ideals and ideas upon which we were founded, that all men and women are created equal and are given certain inalienable rights by the God who created us. It is what has made America exceptional. And it is uh, the reason for our chaos. The reason for our weakness today is because of the abandonment of those Christian values. That's it. The annual Giving USA tabulation show a third of our donations is going to religious causes in the U.S., but Giving USA st- uh, statisticians acknowledge that this is an underestimate. Uh, their calculations include only gifts to houses of worship and related mission organizations, but there are uh, a lot of organizations that are excluded uh, from that. Most U.S. charity is religious. 41% goes to congregations. 27% goes to groups with no religious ties. And 32% goes to religious charities. So 73% of all American charitable uh, giving goes to religious causes and to churches. Um, Also... Religious Americans adopt children at two and a half times the overall national rate. They play a particularly large role in fostering and adopting troubled and hard to place kids. Local church congregations aided by umbrella groups like Catholic Charities provide most of the day-to-day help that resettles refugees and asylum seekers arriving in the U.S. Research shows that the bulk of volunteers mentoring prisoners and their families, both while they are incarcerated and after they are released, are Christians, eager to welcome offenders back into society. The educational alternative alternative that draws most of the headlines today is charter schooling, which serves 3 million children. Much less acknowledges the fact that 3.8 million children are educated every year in religious schools. Uh, these religious schools offer qualitative advantages. Their students experience less violence and bullying and feel more secure, exhibit better citizenship skills, are more engaged with their community, and produce average SAT scores more than 100 points higher than public school students. Religious hospitals care for one out of every five U.S. hospital patients. Catholic institutions account for 16% of all hospital beds, and additional large-care healthcare systems are run by Adventists, Baptists, Methodists, Jews, and other faith groups. Faith-based organizations are at the forefront of both care and recovery for the homeless. A 2017 study found that 58% of the emergency shelter beds in 11 surveyed cities are maintained by religious providers. Local congregations provide 130,000 alcohol recovery programs. This honestly can kind of make me cry. Local congregations provide 120,000 programs that assist the unemployed in the United States. Local church congregations provide 26,000 programs to help people living with HIV and AIDS, one ministry for every 46 people infected with the virus. Churches recruit a large portion of the volunteers needed to operate organizations like Habitat for Humanity, Meals on Wheels, America's Thousands of Food Pantries and Feeding Programs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, the Red Cross, and other volunteer-dependent churches. Um, It is really incredible, really incredible the impact that the church still has today. And I don't think that those who demonize the church recognize everything that is going to be missing when you get your wish of being able to tax churches out of oblivion, when the state is able to control what the church can and can't say. There's a lot of people that think that we should remove the tax-exempt statuses Uh, status of churches because they shouldn't be given special privileges. You have no idea what you will be taking away from communities and from the most vulnerable when you do that. And honestly, I don't think that those activists care at all. They just want more power to the state and less power to churches, less influence churches. I mean, that will lead to death. That will lead to all kinds 
of further atrocities and deprivation far beyond our imagination. The church, the Christian church, is the greatest force for good in the world, has been for 2,000 years. That doesn't mean that people haven't done bad things in the name of Christianity. Of course they have. doesn't mean people haven't wrought destruction in the name of Jesus. Of course they have. But the true living church of God around the world, the little C Catholic church, meaning the universal church, has done more good for more people than any other institution, than any other force by far. And a great example of that is my next guest. He is the owner of a company called Crowd Health. And Crowd Health is changing how we do healthcare coverage. It's a community of Christians coming together to help cover each other's healthcare costs without getting in the the winding and troubled web of health insurance. And so this is a great conversation and a good way for us to get involved and to help uh, more people and just encouraging to see what Christians are doing for each other. So as views change and as younger generations are still trying to work out what the Word of God actually says about all of these issues, let us be encouraged by the fact that God is still on the move and He is still using Christians to be ambassadors of truth and goodness. So without further ado... Uh, here is our conversation with the CEO of Crowd Health. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. All right, could you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, name is Andy Schoonover. I'm the CEO and founder of Crowd Health, which is a new, innovative way of of paying for health bills. Um, I started the company because a few years back I uh, had health insurance, went on healthcare.gov and, and got health insurance. I thought it was my only option. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of joked that it worked until I had to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my little one who was one at the time was having recurring ear infections. And so we went to the ear, nose and throat doctor who told us that she needs tubes in her ears. If you're a parent out there, I'm sure many of you have heard, have gotten the same message. So went to the local hospital, got tubes in her ears. It was a 15 minute procedure and it was $8,000. Wow. And I was just blown away by that. Yeah. And, um, but not only that, a few weeks later, I got something from my health uh, insurance plan that said that it was medically unnecessary and so they weren't going to pay for it. Oh my um, so as a result of that, we started a new company because we thought that people can do better than, than uh, what health insurance is currently offering us. Um, and so we're really excited about uh, about this service and excited yeah. to tell you more and your audience more about it. Yeah, tell us. I mean, obviously, my faithful audience who listens through uh, to listen to all the episodes has probably heard me talk about crowd health before, but it's always mm-hmm. different to hear it from the person who started it. So you told us the origin story, mm-hmm. um, but just tell us what it is, what its mission is and how it's grown. Sure. Yeah. No. So it's it's totally different from health insurance, totally different from health shares, which I'm sure your audience is familiar with. Mm. You know, the way that we work is every month you put one hundred and seventy five dollars into an account. That account is yours um, and that money accumulates over time so that when somebody in the um, community has a health problem, let's just say that my daughter falls off her bike and has a five thousand dollar health bill. I'll pay the first $500 of that. And then Crowd Health will go to the community and say, hey, can we get 45 of you to give $100 from that account that you set up to help Andy's family with that broken arm? 
Um, and if you say yes, then $100 is transferred from your account to my account. Mm. Um, and, you know, eventually we'll have, you know, the $4,500 to, to pay for my, my daughter's, uh, you know, falling off of her, her bike or broken arm or whatever it is. Um, you know, and I think the cool thing about this is, you know, generally with health insurance companies, you're paying into a, you know, this pot um, and it disappears, right? You mm. never are, see that again. Um, and this is you actually know that you're helping Andy's uh, family in Austin, Texas, pay for um, his daughter's broken arm. And so, right. you know, you think that that there's a humanity to that, that um, you don't get with having a, a, a health plan or even some of these health shares. And so we think that's just a, a cool thing. We're trying to bring humanity back to, to healthcare. And one difference too from insurance providers is that there are no doctor's networks and there's not a whole lot of restrictions that people have to mm-hmm. worry about, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, one of the things that I know my wife asked me when we think about health insurance is like, can we go to the same pediatrician? Can I go to the same OBGYN? Can I do those? And, it, you know, we allow people other than, you know, we had that famous statement back in, you know, what it was 10 years ago, you can keep your own doctor, right? right? Which is actually wasn't the case. Yes. Um, and someone stood the, up and said, <laughs> you lie. And he was right. We won't, we won't mention any names, yeah. but, um, you know, in this case, it's literally, there's no doctor networks. So you can go to whoever you want. Um, we just asked that for the big uh, events, that you come to us and let you help you find a really high quality doctor at a, a really good price. So we had a, a woman up in, in Dallas who needed a, um, who's going through cervical cancer right now. So she needed a, a full hysterectomy. She went to her local uh, hospital in Dallas who told her that it was gonna be $40,000. She called us and she said, wow, you know, like I really feel bad for the community because I don't wanna burden them. You know, can you guys find me a better place to do this? And we found a doctor who was actually um, better at this procedure, um, and for $9,000. So right. that's a 75% savings versus yeah. what their local hospital could do. So right. yeah, we just ask people to let us help them find a really good doc at a, a real, really great price. Which is what everyone wants anyway. So the fact that that is a service that y'all provide, helping people mm-hmm. find good doctors, and the fact that this is a community, there is a there's a lot of benefit to that if you're trying to find a good provider because someone over here says, oh, yeah, you know, I have a, an aunt down in Dallas. She just went through breast cancer. She loved her surgeon, whatever it is. There yeah. is a, a benefit to that that really can't be provided by your typical insurance company. Yeah. And we don't we don't want you to have to negotiate with your doctor. Like That seems like an awkward thing. Um, yeah. And I don't particularly like negotiating for a used car or whatever it ends up being. It's like, um, let us go in and ask your doctor to, you know, if we can pay them cash, if you can pay them cash ultimately on the day of that procedure, you know, will they give you a discount for that? And we're seeing anywhere from 30% to 80% discounts by actually just paying them in cash on the day of that that procedure. You know, these doctors are, are typically not getting paid for 60, 90, 120 days from the health insurance plan it takes them, it costs them about 30% of their revenue to actually bill a health insurance plan. So these doctors are our biggest advocates. They're huge fans. They don't want to deal with the health insurance plans. You know, they want to deal with the health insurance plans less than you want to deal with the health insurance plans. And so they, they love crowd health. And actually, I think it's the second, maybe the third largest group of crowd health members are doctors, um, interestingly enough. You know, I'm wondering if you guys have 
come up against any kind of political or regulatory obstacles because I could see how insurance companies and politicians who mm-hmm. are kind of funded by uh, some of these lobbyists and insurance companies don't like you guys <laughs> and probably yeah. don't want you to grow. So is that something mm-hmm. that you guys have experienced? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've kind of termed it the medical industrial complex, yes. which is, you know, these big health insurance plans, these big hospitals are funding these government officials who are making legislation that um, help them, that create barriers to entry. And so, yeah, for sure, we've we've had some some interest from, you know, primarily the politically left who are in kind of this Medicare for all, you know, mentality. Um, and we don't think that the government should be involved in our health care. I am adamantly against that. That's a hill I will die on. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, we need to bring health care back to to individuals. Yeah. You know, just a quick, quick story is we had a, a member who's 19 years old um, who got her hand caught in the prop of a boat over the summertime. Oh. And so this was a big bill, tens right. of thousands of dollars, as yeah. you can imagine. For we like went to crowdfund surgery and exactly all that. yeah reattachment, all physical mm. therapy, all these things. So we went to our group of people and we said, "Hey, will you help this 19-year-old in Tennessee?" And um, we actually had people come back and said, "You know what? I want to give more to this person. Like, I want to get more than what you've asked for to this person." You know, and so to me, it's like, man, like that's bringing humanity back to to healthcare because these these big health plans, like. You don't know where your money is going. You know, if you're on Medicare or some of these big government plans or Medicaid, like you send your money to the government and you have no idea where, you know, your money is going. And I truly believe that, you know, over a period of time, starting probably in the 70s, the government and insurance companies have wedged themselves in between us and our neighbors and have kind of alleviated us from the responsibility of like truly loving our neighbor well. Um, and so, you know, what we're trying to do is ultimately is, is saying, Hey, you know, like you can love your neighbor well through healthcare by helping somebody else in need when they need it. And like, that is fundamentally the mission that we're trying to kind of reestablish here is kind of a sense of generosity of loving your neighbor within healthcare. Cause we've been doing that for hundreds of years and it wasn't until the seventies where these health plans basically said, no, we're not going to allow you to do that anymore. Yes, I think people have noticed maybe more than ever over the past than over the past couple of years that there is a war on interdependence and that there is a war on community dependence. There is a war on the family and communities and churches relying on one another, taking away that interdependence, bringing people into isolation, which forces people then to depend on the state for a variety of needs. And the medical industrial complex, again, as we saw over the past couple of years, plays a really big role role in that isolation and dependence on the government. And so this is a maybe seemingly for some people small but really impactful way to wage a war uh, against that push for isolation and against the Mm -hmm. interdependence and the loving of neighbor that God calls us to. Um, We talk a lot like, what can we do? What can we do? The powers that be are trying to drive us into, you know, globalism and dependence on the states. And I've always said um, localization and community dependence is one way that you can push back against the powers that be that are trying to drive us apart. And this is one way to do that. Um, One last question that I have. Just real quick, Allie, I I wouldn't say this is a small way. Like this is 
you know, the, the healthcare is $4 trillion that yeah. we spend every single year. Like this is the largest industry on the planet, yeah. right? And the, the government is slowly but surely trying to take away that component of our decision-making process. And yeah. so, you know, if, if the government is able to suck up, you know, $4 trillion worth of our, our, our own money, you know, ultimately, um, then, you know, I think that's a problem. And yeah. I think we're, we've seen it even with healthcare.gov, which it is, you know, these third-party insurance plans that are on these healthcare.govs, but it is subsidized by us, the taxpayers, for, you know, everybody up to like three or 400% of the poverty line. So in essence, what they've done with healthcare.gov over the last literally three months is they've expanded the subsidies on that, which in essence is what it's doing is it's expanding Medicaid. Um, and so I think that's a problem. And yeah. so, you know, yeah. if, if your member, if your listeners get come away with nothing else, I would say, you know, you're, you may be in a decision process right now on where to get your health care. Um, you know, you can go to your, your state marketplace or healthcare.gov, depending upon what state you're in. All I'm saying is that action actually props up a, a government ownership yeah. of, of your healthcare. And so whether it be crowd health or a health share or some other alternative, you know, I would, I, all I would ask your, your audience to do is consider an alternative. Yes. And that's why I said seemingly small way, because I think some people would see it as, well, what difference can I make in making this choice? Mm -hmm. This is just me. This is just one family. This is just one individual that's making that choice. It's seemingly small. But of course, just like all choices collectively, they can make a huge difference. And so you're yeah, absolutely we just saw it in the elections, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, one last question that I have before I close this out. Um, something that people are growing increasingly concerned about when it comes to their insurance, and certainly if they are dependent upon um, government insurance uh, or government coverage is paying for, through their dollars, surgeries that don't align with their values, uh, like abortion or mm -hmm. like um, the kind of transgender surgeries that we are seeing that people are just not comfortable with. So I know it might be like a tough question. I don't want to put you on the spot, but how does your company deal with that? Because I know a lot of Christians listening in this audience, they don't want any part of that. Yeah, no, it's not a tough question at all. It's probably the easiest question yet. It's like, I'm a believer. Um, I will not allow my company to fund anything that are against biblical principles. And so you have my word that that's not going to happen. Um, so um, before Crowd Health, I was in a, a, a faith-based ministry that I ran. And so you can, your audience can, can be assured that that will, will, will not happen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And as my audience will hear me say later this week, when I read the actual ad, mm -hmm. if people go to joincrowdhealth.com, you can use my code Ally. You said it's typically $175 a month, correct? Mm -hmm. But with my yeah. code, it's $99 a month for the first six months, which is mm -hmm. an amazing deal. You save a lot of money. Plus, you're going to save a lot of money with this anyway. Um, and so thank you so much. Thanks for just... Um, obeying the Lord and, and going out and starting something. A lot of people talk about doing things and making a difference and it's just lip service and you're actually doing it. So um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for everything you do as well.